You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Now that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Hello, welcome to That's Deep, Bro. I am your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode. I took the week off, man. How did that feel? How did that feel that I abandoned you last week? That's what my therapist always says when we, uh, when she has to skip a session because of traveling or, or whatever she's doing. How did that make you feel um, that, I, that I wasn't here last week? And I, I think she wants me to tell her that I have a resentment. How dare you leave me, mommy? But I never admit to it. I'm always like, no, it's fine. It's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Still in therapy, guys. Okay. Uh, some business first, I am, I am almost done with the preparation, uh, for taping my hour. It has been a really fun ride. It's weird. I usually am so hung up on stuff being perfect and da, 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 but it's been a really fun process of letting go of perfectionism and, um, and really crafting an hour that I'm really proud of. And the response has been fantastic. So thank you to everybody that's come out. Denver was amazing. Um, we had fart nicks. We had um, um, uh, Judork titties, sack and balls, memento. Um, and now I'm going to San Francisco, June 16th and 17th at the Punchline. June 22nd, last call. I'm running the set at Flappers in Burbank in the YooHoo room, the small room, because I like uh, small rooms. Really, if it were up to me, I would film a special with like 10 people. <laughs> Cause I'd rather have, I don't know why I like it. I, I like the old days of open mics and suffering. That's normal. Also. Um, so June 24th, the big day at the Showbox theater in Seattle, you can put your name on a list for tickets by going to thousandranch.com. Um, you put your name on a list, they contact you for tickets. That's kind of how it works. It's some, it's an independent agency. And also July 9th, we're doing the Irvine improv. We're doing your mom's house live. And then August 23rd, we're doing Your Mom's House Live in West Harry Palm Beach in Florida. There you go. Get your tickets at thousandranch.com. Also, if you shop on Amazon, please use my banner. Go to thatsteeprowpodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post and do your shopping as you normally would. It just uh, kicks back some change. I just ate a plate full of uh, cheese. It's probably not good before you record a podcast to have uh, cheese just welling up in your throat. <laughs> mm, okay. That's Deep Bro is supported in part by Warby Parker, boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Now, I had my first experience with Warby. I did the in-home trial. You go to their website, super easy. You sign up. And you pick out some shades you want to try. And I'm telling you, they are such good quality. Um, Better than the designer. I own one pair of designer glasses I bought at the mall. And these are by far better than those. And what they do is they come to your house. You try on, I believe it's uh, five pairs at a time. And you try them on, you ask your friends how they look, which is cute. They, They recommend that you do that. Hey, ask your friends, ask your family, does this make me look lame? Or am I looking super cool? And then uh, based on what your friends and your family tell you, because <laughs> I'd ask my husband, like, which one of these is normal? And um, and we picked them, and then you buy them, and that's it. It's easy peasy. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Now, that's a big thing for people that have them. I personally do not, but from what I understand, that's a pretty cool feature. Lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. And here's the great part too. For every pair you buy, a pair is distributed to somebody in need. Now that is pretty cool. Uh, Free home try-on program. Like I said, you order five pairs of glasses, try them on for five days. There's no obligation to buy. You don't want them, you don't gotta buy them. It ships for free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. So to try it out, 
Go to warbyparker.com slash bro to order your free home try-ons today. That's warbyparker, W-A-R-B-Y-P-A-R-K-E-R.com slash bro. So after you head there uh, and place your home try-on order, make sure to download the Warby Parker app from the iTunes app store. They built this awesome home try-on companion feature, which allows you to quickly take photos wearing all the frames, uh, stitch it into a video and share it with friends and family to help you pick a winner. See, they tell you to get your friends in on it, which is so true because, you know, you think you look cool, but those are the fools that got to look at you. You know what I'm saying? They're the ones that have to look at you in your glasses. You may as well, you may as well get their help. She's okay. Okay. Let's get into it. I have so much to catch up on because I was, I didn't, I didn't do a show last week. I never take a break. And I thought, you know what? You deserve it. You need a you need a rest. I was traveling all around and um yeah, you gotta take a break. Everybody needs a break. Okay, let's get into it. the Beastie Boys, man. Get your life. Do you know the Beastie Boys, man? The, I've said this before on this show, and it's, I know it's annoying for you, but I get blown away when people do stuff so early in life. I mean, these fools started their band when they were like 15, and then, you know, Paul's Boutique, I think they recorded when they were like 23, and then this album, Ill Communication, they're like, I'm 27, I'm doing what I love. You're like, yeah, fuck you. How did you figure it out? How did they know that they were going to be the most amazing band at 15? How do, how do they, John Lennon too, starts the Beatles uh, with Paul, Paul McCartney. Uh, you know, they're 15 in Liverpool because I'm talented, mate. I know what I want to be when I grow up so early. I... I just envy that uh, that sort of self awareness. I mean, I what was I, I at fifteen? I was smoking cigarettes, getting finger blasted behind racquetball courts by my boyfriend, uh, doing hits of acid at Lollapalooza. <laughs> John Lennon started the Beatles. Same, 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 same. Good life. So, anyways, I, I'm uh, welcome back to the show, guys. I took a week down. You know, because I, I was doing too much, like running, running these streets. I was doing shows and coming home and recording your mom's house and being with my family and petting dogs, uh, getting back in with my Brussels. You know, they hold grudges when you leave Brussels. You find they're a very needy breed. <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited. In Denver, they have uh, right around the corner from the club there, uh, it's like a pet store and... It's just so funny because I I went there a couple years back when Tom was doing the same club. And I'm, as you know, I'm a Brussels Griffon enthusiast. That is my breed. I'm, I just am in love with their silly little faces. I love their demeanor. I think I'm a Brussels. That's why, because I'm very needy and I demand love and I love the kisses and I love treats and I love naps. (laughs) And uh, they have, um, they have all the breeds, you know, that you can buy like stationery or s- stickers or something. And every time I see a Brussels 
anything like a pen or socks. I have to buy it because it's very rare because they don't always have the Brussels Griffin. And this store, I was there years ago. Oh, why did I have cheese before I recorded this freaking show? And um, I'm going to vomit, you know? And uh, so I found the stationery that I saw two years ago. And two years ago, I picked it up and I was so stoked to see a Brussels Griffon stationery. But in my head, I went $17.95 for a Brussels straight, uh, stationery. <laughs> Who can afford that? I mean, what sort of queen is entitled to buying $17.95 worth of stationery of her favorite breed of dog. Are you insane, lady? And it's not as though we were, um, you know, really, really, really broke back then. We made a decent living. And I I just, it's so funny. At the time, I just felt it was such a, a luxury item, you know. And going back this time, I was like, well, of course I'm going to get the damn stationary because I've been thinking about it for, you know, two and a half years since I've been there and, and, uh, and I deserve it. And it's so silly. And it got me, um, to thinking about that topic. And I I had a similar thing happen with ankle socks. I mentioned this on your mom's house that I've been wearing, um, like vans my whole life, my whole life. Oh, and, um, I, I just let my feet sweat you know, and I'm miserable and I hate it. And I hate the summertime because my feet are always sweaty and I'm always wearing like ballet flats or, or my, now I wear orthopedic, uh, Vionics. <laughs> um, cause I'm in my forties and that's what you do when you're a mom. I got to put on my fanny pack and wear my orthopedics. But I just assumed that, well, yeah, surely you're, you're what you just, that's how it goes. I let my feet sweat and I'm miserable the whole day. And who am I? Who am I to uh, ask for something that would solve this problem? And there, but it's probably not even a solution, right? You just kind of go, no, guess I'm going to suffer. <laughs> now, that's just life. That's how it goes. You got to have sweaty feet and you can't have stationery that you like. Mm, too bad. So sad. Not for you, for other people. Other people can buy the stationery <laughs> they like. Other people can wear uh, tiny little socks, apparently, is what you buy. You buy hidden socks. Now, given that I was raised in a communist upbringing, the thought of buying um, invisible socks is so preposterous to somebody like me because, you know, my mother was very, you know, raised in a, in a hard knocks environment, raised in a wartime environment. And there's no such thing as buying, (laughs) um, hidden socks. Are you crazy? Like the thought of even buying strawberries was a luxury to my mother, Cause we were, uh, you know, we were in survival mode and even though she was no longer in her country of origin she, uh, from Hungary, for those of you who don't know, parents are Hungarian, they escaped from communism, blah, blah, blah. Um, but she still carried with her the past, right? She, she carries with her the scarcity mode, the mode of, um, no, we're always in survival. You never know when that other shoe is going to drop. And, and, and I, you know, it's little, these silly, silly things I mentioned, the stationary, uh, this, the invisible socks that I purchased from Amazon using my banner, go to that superpodcast.com. And, um, but it changed my life, right? Wearing these silly little socks for the first time in 40 years blew my mind. And I wore them around Denver for the first time ever in my life. And it was like a revelation because finally my feet weren't roasting in uh, my slip-ons, my orthopedics. And it was like, Oh, it was so great. And, and, uh, and uh, the whole time I just kept thinking, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so long to, to, re- to even search for a remedy? And it's funny because in my mind, I just didn't think there was a remedy, right? You, you just go like, yeah, well, that's for other people. And there, there's no solution. There, this is just how I'm going to live. And, and I use the analogy of the, the phone charger in the house that Tom and I shared. We had one phone charger between the two of us for a long time, (laughs) years. And we were like, wait, why? we can buy two or three. We can buy multiple. We can afford that to have phone chargers. (laughs) So my point is, um, I just got to thinking about, well, what's a luxury to some people? Whereas to other people, like what's the difference between me who goes, you know, stationary I enjoy for 20 bucks and, uh, and socks that might really make my day better. Why do I say that as a luxury? And someone else just goes, well, duh. Yeah. Dumb, dumb. Go buy the thing. That's gonna, 
that's going to help you. And, and I think, and it's, it's, it's related to what I talked about with my mother. And, and there's this documentary about a man, and I brought this up to on the show before that, um, he, he gets away from a work camp in North Korea. He's raised in a work camp. I don't know why they call them camps. Camp implies fun. It's not a work camp. It's, (laughs) it's work prison to be accurate, but they, why call them camps? That's what Hitler did, right? That's work makes you free. Um, yeah, they're not making lanyards in North Korea in those uh, those camps. They're not they're not having fun or singing kumbaya or playing the guitar or French kissing each other in canoes. Very different. Very different camp. I don't, don't even call it a camp. So why why do I have this? And, and you know, then I'm not speaking in me me me. This is really a broader the broader sense of why. So this North Korean guy gets out and they they rehabilitate him and they put him in an apartment in Seoul, Korea. And now all of a sudden he's in a major awesome city and they give him an apartment. And, um, but what do you do? You know, you're still in North Korea in lots of ways. And it's funny. They gave him a bed, they gave him the furniture, they gave him the stuff, but he felt more comfortable sleeping on the floor and he would ride the subway and he had his cool iPhone and he had his earbuds and he had his iTunes but he didn't know what to do with himself. And not because that stuff is bad. I'm not making a, a point to, that's anti-capitalist at all, but because his mind was still trapped in North Korea. And you don't have to be from a communist background um, to relate to this, because I think what I'm talking about is your past. And it's everybody's got a North Korea. Everybody was raised a certain way, and um, everybody's led to believe certain things by the people that have raised well-meaning people. I'm not. I'm not blaming, or this is not to blame. Uh, but it's it's really about the stuff that you carry into your adult life, and you go, uh, well, I, I I can't do that. And that's not for me. For instance, um, I don't deserve health. I I can't be thin. That's that's for you know. Gosh, that's the Kardashians. Um, I I can't possibly um, have money you know, cause rich people are, well, they're bad, aren't they? I mean, gosh, rich people are jerks. Look at that Donald Trump. Isn't he a kind of a jerky guy? Well, yeah, there are also poor jerks too. There are rich and poor douchebags everywhere. You know, maybe it's, I don't deserve to be happy every day and to feel a sense of joy at my job. Maybe I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't deserve to be happy in my relationships with my spouse or my girlfriend, boyfriend, friends. I don't deserve these things. That's for somebody else. That's for, you know, uh, thinner people, more attractive people, people who grew up differently, maybe had it much easier than me. Right. And it's really insidious because I think that sense of like not deserving is really profound and it, and it creeps up in little ways. Like I'm mentioning like the silly stuff of, excuse me, ankle socks and stationery. That's, that's bullshit stuff. I'm talking about like bigger picture things like your life. Like I think a lot of people live life with kind of a low grade misery tinged to it. Right. A lot of people marry people they fucking hate have jobs they fucking hate. Um, they live places they don't like. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, who am I uh, to have the audacity to to want happiness? Because I don't think most of us aren't raised to look for that stuff. You're just kind of, you know, I don't know how you're raised, but most of us, I, I don't feel like, the, they don't certainly don't teach you that at school that you should feel, you shouldn't feel like you're suffering through every goddamn day of your existence. Cause I, you know, and I, I did shit when I was in my twenties. That's, that's what I felt a lot waking up for jobs I hated. And, but then again, that's also part of being 20 is you just kind of suffer through that decade until you figure shit out. And then, you know, you, you, uh, then you go, you know, full force on what you want. You know, I just think being young is there's a certain amount of suffering that's totally normal. And, uh, you know, society, you got to pay your dues. That's just how it goes. Um, but I know that there's there's two kinds of people, you know. There's people that go, well, sh- I guess I have to stay suffering, right? I guess uh, every morning I have to wake up and 
And the first thought in my head is, oh, fuck. And then I got to go downstairs and do the thing and make the coffee and get in the car and sit in traffic and go to a job I hate and listen to the coworkers I fucking hate talk and come home and uh, watch America's Got Talent and eat my shitty dinner and hate my wife and hate the kids and then go back to bed and do, you know drink my, uh, drink my sixer and then go to sleep. And I think, I think that's why, you know, I always want to talk to millennials because I feel like that's the age where you can really cut all the, the stuff at the root that's going to set you up for life. Meaning you don't get into the bad relationships or you get out of them early enough so that you can get into the good ones. You don't, you don't commit to a career that makes you unhappy in your 20s. It's a lot easier when you start life out on the right foot versus trying to untangle it a bit later when you're, you're, you're already in the mortgage, you're already in the career, you're already in the kids and then, you know, you're a little more, it's, it's a little harder to, to kind of move around. Not, not impossible, however. And I don't believe that the mortgage, the children, the life is an excuse either to not change for the better. I don't believe that. I don't, there are many, many successful humans that have had children, that have had obligations, that have had responsibilities. Um, and there's never a perfect time. There's never a perfect time. There's never a time when you're together enough to to do X, Y, and Z. You know, someday when I'm together enough, when I'm thin enough, when I'm pretty enough, when I'm old enough, da, 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 I will do X, Y, and Z. There's no such thing. Otherwise, you stay in preparation mode forever and ever and ever. And I've seen that too. Um, I've seen people get stuck in the preparation for the leap of faith, which is something I wanted to talk about, gosh, how did I get there? The leap of faith. Okay. I wanted to get into this a little bit today because I get so many emails and I'm going to get into your emails too in a minute here because we have a lot to catch up on. Um, uh, how do I, I get the, I get this one constantly. How do I become a stand-up comedian? How do I, how do I do X, Y, and Z? How, 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 how? And you know, being a comic, that's a whole fucking seminar. I'm not going to get into that one today. Uh, I might answer that at a later date just because that's so fucking boring for me to even, it, feel, it feels so boring to tell people what to do. With. But I think in life, and I think what I'm talking about with this deserving stuff and the leap of faith, there's a point in your life, uh, and it usually has to come in your 20s or early 30s where you just say no more. No more. I'm done. I'm done being overweight. I'm done being miserable. I'm done going to a job I hate. I'm done being friends with people I don't enjoy, having conversations I don't like. I'm done dealing with the abusive family members who constantly overstep boundaries. I'm done with whatever it is. Um, I want to be a comedian. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a chef. I want to be whatever it is. And you take a leap of faith and everybody has to do it. At some point as a comic, you quit your day job and you go into debt, uh, touring the country as a feature act and you do it. You do it happily. Um, it's not, it's not without severe anxiety. I'm not saying that a leap of faith is easy. Um, and I know a lot of these self-help gurus tend to kind of glaze over that part of, uh, of self-actualization. I think a lot of people don't tell you that, you know, uh, get in your life and, and changing for the better and doing things that will eventually make you happier in the long run is not pleasant as you're doing it. And it sucks um, because it's challenging. And that's why a lot of people go, you know, take the blue pill instead of the red. I forget which one's in the matrix, but like I said, there's a point where you can either just keep going down the path of, uh, of zero resistance, which is complacency, right? I'm just going to wake up, go to the job I hate, do the thing I don't like. Or you can take the path of a lot of resistance, which is the, uh, the path of, of the unknown. What will I do? Um, how will I pay the rent if I choose to be a creative person? How will I tell my parents that I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer, whatever the heck it is. Now, my parents escaped from a country. They escaped from Hungary when they were 20 years old, I think 20 and 21, which is bananas when you think about when you think about the level of, oh my God, what the fuck are we going to do? I mean, you know, I always think about my parents 
escaping from a country, by the way. So for those of you who don't know, the Russians annexed um, Eastern Europe, Central Europe. Uh, It was called the Iron Curtain. The Russians took over and they, uh, the Soviet Union took over these satellite countries, what they called. So they created an oppressive government. You weren't allowed to practice religion. Um, There was no food because the government was so corrupt that they didn't distribute it. They They were growing enough food, making enough food, and neither or distributing enough food. And basically the government would come to your house and go, yeah, you've got a nice big house. How about we move in like four more families and they would take away your property. There's no private property, things like that. So very oppressive regime. You know, uh, kids would rat out their parents because um, the, the the state would tell you things like, hey, if your parents are saying things that are anti-government, you should speak up and, and tattle on them. And people's kids would do that to them, not knowing and then, you know, your parents are in a, a camp, a work camp, a fun work camp. <laughs> um, horrible. So it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible place to live, to be, war-torn country. And my parents, at, at a very young age, 20 and 21, got married. And with nothing other than basically the clothes on their back escaped from a country. Now, if they catch you doing that, it's not like, hey, I guess you're just going to jail. Like, n- n- you're probably going to be thrown into some kind of Russian uh, prison for a long time. You're not going to see your family. You're probably not going to be fed. Like it's not, it's not, the consequences are far greater in this scenario than like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I might choose the wrong job. So whenever I think about um, the, the luxury that we have in this country of, you know, the anxiety over what should I be when I grow up and am I living my best life <laughs> compared to my poor parents? who had no options. Um, I always feel a sense of like, oh, wow, this is, uh, this is key. So, so why not take the leap of faith is what I'm trying to say. In a country where um, the odds are in your favor, if you will, where, um, you know, hey, is it perfect? No. Is our country great, uh, perfect and, and wonderful and everyone's equal? No. But mm, compared to other places, at least you have a fucking chance of doing something so just go ahead and fucking do it because you're going to die soon anyways and none of this none of this will matter. So you may as well enjoy enjoy the time, enjoy the ride and, and not try to be so heavy about it, you know, because that's the thing. We get neurotic and heavy about it. At least I did. So, okay. Also, I wanted to bring up, uh, you know, my obsession with the Great British Baking Show and now I've been watching the master class on Netflix where they show you the recipes. And I'm, I'm watching Mary Berry last night make a dobos torta. They say, of course, dobos tort, which is not how you fucking pronounce that. Okay. She's making a dobos torta. It's a Hungarian cake. And I, you know, I'm starting to think, oh, I should get into baking, man. That looks like fun. Even though it's filled with just poison. I mean, do you know what the fuck is in caramel, by the way? I, I just thought caramel was made on machines. Like you, there's a caramel machine and that's how, no, guess what? Here's what caramel is. It'll blow your fucking mind. She puts like two tablespoons of water in a pan and then like uh, five pounds of sugar and then you boil it until it turns brown and then you add whole cream to it. That's caramel. Isn't that nuts? I think that's just bananas. I, I don't know what the hell I thought caramel was, but I didn't realize it was just melted sugar. Even though like, you know when you taste it, you're like, well, this isn't broccoli. Surely this is bad for me. And like, oh yeah, baking's terrible. Even jelly. She made jelly. And she was like, I put in a cup of, of raspberries, fresh raspberries, and then a cup or seven of sugar. <laughs> like, oh my God. Why, why do the fruit? It's all bad for you. It's, and, then, and then there's always five sticks of butter in every recipe. I had no idea that baking was this t- terrible. So I'm watching Mary Berry, and her co-host is essentially, um, you know, a douchebag. He's like, he's like a British Guy Fieri. Um, his name is Paul Hollywood, which if that doesn't make your gag reflex start, uh, sure made mine go. And, you know, he dresses like Guy Fieri, kind of like a button-down shirt. And he's got these wolf blue eyes and like a douchebag facial hair thing. And, you know, his whole thing is like, 
he's like super kind of edgy. I'm an edgy biker. And he's very hurried when he makes his recipes. Like he's very, like he needs dough. Like, look at me. I can do this with my eyes closed. Like he's like, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a little overly aggressive and a little cocky, I think is the word. I'm like, like arrogant. There's a lot of arrogance to how he does things. And it's just, you know, you realize that watching him, you're like, oh, he's just, um, he's just a toddler. Like he's just a lost soul who needs a lot of validation and love and something's, you know, there's a hole inside and that's why he acts like a jerk, blah, blah, blah. And I'm watching Mary Berry, should each of them take turns teaching you how to make recipes and Mary is like, this, this is a lovely recipe to make with your children or your grandchildren. And her little hands are all arthritic and bent funny. And she can barely, you know, cut butter to put in the bowl. And, um, and you know, you can see that her teeth are kind of really old because she's got really bad bridge work. And she can never take a bite of anything too crunchy head on. She always has to take it from the side like I do because I have veneer, so I get it. Uh, and... I'm watching her do her recipes and then Paul do his douchebaggy way of being like a jerk, basically. And I'm watching how she handles Paul. And you can tell that she's spent a lot of time around small children (laughs) because she treats him very similarly, similarly, that's all right. It's very similarly to a toddler. Um, She doesn't allow him to fire her up. It's so interesting because he wants to fuck with her he wants to rile her up and disrespect her and when you watch mary deal with him it's like it's not that she's putting up a a front or like doing anything it's actually all just kind of sliding off of her right like he'll throw some stupid barb at her or whatever like at one point he tried to crack some joke about her age and she just was like, uh, nah, like ignoring it. It's funny. And it got me to thinking about, um, they have this thing in Buddhism where they talk about letting life wear you down. Like you want to let life burn off all your bullshit. You want to go through enough trials in life that you're kind of ground down by the bad experiences. And what that, I mean, I think what that means, shit, I don't know. I'm not a, you know, guru, but I think what that means is like you, you have enough Paul Hollywoods in your life that kind of push your buttons. Or if you have a toddler, you have someone who pushes your buttons daily, hourly, minutely. And it's your reaction, right? It's, uh, am I going to take the bait here? Am I going to, am I going to let this person throw a hook in me? And then am I going to go ahead, take the bait, start the fight, get into the bullshit, drag into the mud, right? Because that's what that's what he wants. They want you to get in, uh, in some nonsense with them to fulfill whatever need they have to zing you. And that idea from Buddhism of like allowing life to kind of ground you down, it gets rid of, because if you go through, if you, they say you should thank the person that fires you up a lot, like thank the person that's triggering the fuck out of you. Because it means that you're working off some of this karma. You're working off your rough edges. You're burning off the triggers, the wounds inside of you that need addressing, basically. So when somebody pisses you off and fires you up, it's a really great exercise to look at yourself because it's really never about them. You know what I mean? You're just having a conversation with yourself. So it's about you and your reaction. And why is that person getting under my skin. What is it about them, not them per se, but what they're saying or doing that's like getting to me. And I don't have the answers for you on that one. That's your between you and your shrink, but but that's the stuff you bring to your shrink. Like, hey, this person's firing me up and I don't know why. I don't know why, but blah 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 blah. They're they I just hate them. I just have this thing and we fought and blah blah blah. Because otherwise if you're a Mary Berry it looks to me, and I don't, I don't know her. I don't know she, what her deal is, but she seems to be fucking calm as a Hindu cow. Like she's very serene, uh, very dealt with her stuff. She looks like she's in a place where it's like, oh yeah, well that's just a little toddler trying to irritate me. Why would I? <laughs> I'm not gonna fall for that. Come on, little kid. Um, but that is kind of that's why you see all these gurus who are so calm and they. They talk so slow at an excruciatingly slow pace. It's because 
because they're at peace and they're calm and right. No one's going to ruffle their fucking feathers or if they, they do get their feathers ruffled. That's not true. They're not perfect, but I believe that they don't like try. They try not to get so reactive. That's the whole goal is to not be so reactive first, but to go like, Oh, what is, what is that? Why do I hate that person's thing? What's going on with me? Cause you wouldn't even notice it. Like if it, if it's not one of your things, your triggers, then you wouldn't you wouldn't even know if I hate that word. What I mean is, if it's not one of your issues, your bullshit things, uh, it wouldn't even bother you. <laughs> you just kind of let it roll off you like a Mary Berry, and you make your fucking cake, and you make your caramel, you make your eclair, and you get on with your goddamn life. Okay, let's see, little bit jeans, little bit jeans. Okay, I wanted to answer this one. Caitlin writes in, Hi, Jean. I'm a 22-year-old female trying to get my life. I think I'm doing a decent job, but I still suffer from anxiety and depression a good deal of the time. To provide some context, since I was 15, almost eight years ago, I have lived in nine different places. With all this moving, you could definitely say I have a hard time staying still. So I'm working full time and going to school, studying social work. I'm working towards my goals and I know I should be proud of that and be okay where I am, but I can't seem to sit still. I'm constantly reevaluating everything. Should I look for a different job? Should we move out of our house into an apartment? Should I move cities altogether? Where am I going to go to grad school? How will I afford it? Maybe we should move now. Maybe not at all. These are a sample of the questions I have circling around in my head on a daily basis. It causes me so much anxiety that I feel like I'm on the verge of a breakdown uh, of a good portion of the time. Oh, Lord. I know I could probably dive really deep into why I am the way I am and why I'm anxious and depressed, but there seems to be this particular phenomenon of not being happy with my current state, no matter how good it is, and always planning slash worrying about what's to come. Do you have any insight on this? I do, Kaylin. So, boo-boos, let's start from the beginning. So, you're 22 years old, and you're just starting to get your life. And, uh, and by that, I just mean you're starting your professional life. And it's so funny because fucking five years ago, I talked to a book agent and I was like, I want to write a book to help millennials deal with this time in their life between college and the real world. And this fucking cunt book agent goes, they're not going to no, no young people want to hear what old people have to say. Sorry. <laughs> she goes, that'll never sell. And what do I have today? But a goddamn podcast <laughs> where millennials fucking email me every day about how to get their lives. And it didn't start that way, this show. It just fucking turned that way. So if you're a book agent listening to this, let's get it on because obviously I had a brilliant idea. Okay, back to where we're at. Okay, so you're 22 years old trying to get your life. There's a normal amount of anxiety that goes to being 22. I said this earlier in the show. My father said to me once, as I almost feel bad for you because I was 22 and full of anxiety too because you have too many options. It's almost a curse to be in a country where you can do a lot of stuff. If you have the money to be educated and this and that, and you're in her position, there's a lot of avenues you can go down. So it's that is enough to make you um, anxious and depressed because there's too many fucking things you can do in this country as a young person. Um, that's normal. Now, the fact that you're always like, I, I don't know, it doesn't say, you don't say why you lived in nine different places from the time you were 15, but I'm guessing you didn't move yourself, but that your parents um, set that pattern for you because I, I don't know, maybe it was their jobs uh, that made you move around so much, but it just sounds to me like you got used to hitting the bricks when stuff gets uh, ooky for you. I don't know. I don't, you don't say what, what makes, what's, what happens right before you feel like bouncing or why this happens to you. Um, you can't see, you're constantly reevaluating it. So it sounds like you're like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing? Should I go here? Is this the right thing? Should I go there? So again, there's, I, th I think a certain level of normalcy to that being as young as you are, you don't want to make any missteps. And that's kind of what I preach on this show to younger people. Like, don't don't get into the bad career, the bad marriage, the mortgage at 22. Unless, you know, there are exceptions to the rule, but generally, 
Gen- I mean, I know people that met at 15 and have been married for a million years and are happier than shit. So there goes that. But for most of us, um, it's a tougher road. So you don't want to lock yourself into some something horrible. Okay. Uh, but why you want to fucking... Should I look for a different... It sounds to me like you just don't know what you want and you're not sure who you are. And I don't know how that happened to you, but you got to get real still, uh, Caitlin. You got to get real still. You got to get real into your own fucking head and you got to calm down. And uh, I always preach meditation because it's the best. I always preach what? Get in your life, seeing who? A therapist, uh, number one. That's always going to help you calibrate what it is you want to do. So, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't, ha- I don't think I have enough information here. I'm sorry. I, uh, I, I just think that it sounds like you were set up to think that moving is the answer. <laughs> and sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the city you're in um, and you're not surrounded by your tribe of people. I always use the example of gay people. Uh, for the life of me, I don't know why if you're gay or a person of color, you would live in certain parts of this country because those places are very hostile to you, for you. <laughs> go go move where all the nutsos are in California. Come to us. We accept you with open arms. Are you gay? Are you non-binary? Do you have five heads? Are you liberal? Do you smoke dope? Uh, you know, do you want to ride a unicycle? Yes. Do you want to play hacky sack all day? Come on, come to California. Our doors are open. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I think it's something to do with not knowing who you are and what you want. Uh, again, I don't know what part of that is just being 22 and what part of that is because you are kind of taught to bounce around too much. So you don't have a strong internal, uh, core there. And it's usually the beginning of that, that bouncing around. I bounced around a lot. So I think it has to do with like not knowing yourself it takes time. Um, I would say, you know, what's so funny. And I think a lot of times indecision and decisiveness comes from, but what if there's a bigger, better deal out there? And there's a little bit of that going on, right? The bigger, better deal. What if, if I make this decision uh, and then I can't go down this road again. And and here's the thing. It's, it's not like when you decide on one thing, everything else is completely excluded from your experience. No, it's not. It's not like one decision is going to fucking ruin everything. You make a decision, you go down that path a little, and then you go, "Oh, this is not what I thought it was." Okay, next, boop, 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 and you can always recalibrate. But you have to stick to one thing long enough to see it through to see if it's the right area. You just see the thing, you go one way until you don't want to fucking go there anymore, and then you go somewhere else. Okay, this one I thought was very, very, very interesting. Hygiene. Okay, um, I have gone through the same journey as Bert is fat and Tom <laughs> over the past few years, having weighed over 310 plus two times in my teen years, I've made a drastic change in my lifestyle and habits to being much healthier. I am now much leaner and more athletic in my entire life and have never worn my jeans so high and tight. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I am my office water champ for three years running as well. Fantastic. Despite how far I've come in both my mental and physical health, there is a ghost that haunts me behind closed doors. Perfection. I've lost over 90 pounds and get compliments about how the weight about the weight I've lost, but I still see a reflection of burnt Chrysler in the mirror. <laughs> I guess you could say that I can't see the trees for the forest. You know what I'm saying? Do you know if T-Buns or yourself struggle with this after weight loss? Or do you know anyone else who struggles with this kind of problem of still feeling like your old fat self? Okay. Okay, Steve. Now, this is very common from what I've um, understood of very overweight people, people that have been overweight the majority of their lives, um, and they get like the stomach stapling or whatever that's called, the band, and they lose a ton of weight. And what happens is everyone around them freaks the fuck out and treats them like people, (laughs) treats them like a person, like a person, they treat you differently, right? There's that component. I'm, I, from what I understand, um, and it's kind of fucked up because you're like, well, why weren't you guys treating me nicely when I was overweight? And now that I'm thin, all of a sudden I'm validated and like, you guys like me? Fuck you. 
And it's actually kind of depressing for very overweight people to lose a lot of weight because there's that realization too of like, okay, I did it. I did it. Like I'm finally a thin person and I'm getting all these operations and I'm going to get all the skin removed and it's horrible and it's, it's so traumatic. And then it's like, uh, well, is that all there is? Oh shit. I don't even like the people I hung out with before and I don't really feel different inside. Wait a minute. I'm still, I'm still the fat girl. I'm still the fat guy. I'm still in North Korea. Right. Right. So this is a wonderful email that piggybacks off what I spoke about earlier, which is like, you can take the fucking South, the North Korean guy out of the, the work camp, but you can't take the work camp out of the North Korean guy because on some level you're still programmed from the past, all your wiring and all your dramas and bullshits haven't been really addressed which is why I believe in the past, I don't know now, they make you go through counseling before you get a lab band. And I don't know what the counseling consists of, but I'm some kind of mental shit to see, you know, whatever. The point is, just because you change the outside, your insides are still all fucked up. <laughs> um, because why were you heavy in the first place, right? You want to look at that stuff. Like what, what compelled you? And I don't know why you were overweight, but it sounds to me like since you could lose it through diet and exercise that it was diet and non-exercise related. It wasn't like a weird glandular, you know, a, oh, excuse me, schnitzel. It wasn't like, um, you know, out of your control. So there was a reason you were overeating. Well, you have to look at that before... Um, you look at what's going on. So why was I over overeating? That's the question you want to go for because otherwise, and this is what happens, um, you'll end up gaining the weight back. Uh, not, not because you're weak or because you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not that boo boo. It's because there's some underlying trauma maybe, or just unresolved feelings, things that you haven't dealt with. And so I, I love eating my feelings. That's like, Oh, it's the best. <laughs> I used to smoke cigarettes. And when I smoked cigarettes, I really liked it because what better way to to not have to feel stuff is if I could like light up and get anxious and get fired up. And, you know, people use alcohol for that reason too, or eating, sex, gambling, any addiction, anything that is harmful to you in the long run is likely to stop you from feeling your feelings and you don't want to feel them because you're scared and you don't know how to deal with those feelings. So I, again, I always say, get thee to a therapist. There's no substitute for seeing a goddamn qualified shrink, not listening to my podcast, not listening to Paul Gilmartin, not reading a million books. All that stuff is all the, I appreciate you listening. I'm not saying don't, but all that stuff is like, practice for the main event. What you're you listening to me is preparation for you Googling a therapist. I prefer psychotherapy, psychotherapist, and then your fucking zip code and sliding scale. If you can't afford the full price, who the hell can, um, Google those terms, therapist, uh, you know, zip code sliding scale <laughs> and start there because I, I fucking figured it out on this trip last time that the root of all, all suffering of all human drama, of all addictions, abuse, neglect, everything that, that, that evil shit that people do to each other is rooted in the inability to feel feelings. I fucking promise you it's rooted in the inability to just sit there and cry or to let the thing come through you, wash through you, your sadness, your loneliness, your depression, your anxiety, to acknowledge those feelings and move on. Because most of us were not taught that it was okay or safe to have them. And that is why you learn to bottle it up, to suck it up and move on, soldier. You learn to not feel, you learn to survive, and then you end up fucking 300 pounds <laughs> and you lose all the weight and you go, shit, is that all there is? That's it? Is that all the fucking it? Now I'm skinny. I look great. But why do I feel like shit? And that's the same thing with celebrities. Why, why do you hear that story a million times? That's, that's the number one tabloid seller is the rags to riches two rags again. And I can't believe it. You mean money and fame and success doesn't fill the void 
of, uh, of not feeling your stuff. Well, yeah, of course, none of it does. That's, that's why, that's why none of those things are inherently bad, by the way, being thin, being rich. I don't know about famous. I think that's pretty fucking terrible, but Hey, can't be rich or skinny enough. As far as I'm concerned or smart, you can always be smart. Oh man. I like that. Um, but yeah, that is why it's, it's not about the weight loss. Um, I, I'm proud of you that you did it, by the way. I should have fucking said that. See, I don't acknowledge your accomplishment. That's terrible. Steve, I'm proud of you that you lost all the weight. That's a fucking Herculean effort. And it took, I'm sure, a will, like sheer force of will. Um, but I remember when I lost uh, baby weights, ugh, I would like catch myself catch myself overeating, you know, and you're like, I'd be in the house and I'd, I'd feel like an anxious feeling and I'd be like, I got to eat something. I gotta just fucking, is there any brownies left? I got to, let's get, let's go get some, uh, let's get some waffles. <laughs> and then when I started to, um, on this diet, I was like, okay, the trigger, the thing is still there. Like the, the impulse of let's just eat waffles right now. But then I go, wait a minute. If I eat the waffles, I am going to feel like crap because it's all sugar, sugar, sugar and carbohydrate. I'm going to feel like crap eventually. And the bad feelings are still going to be there. Same with alcohol, right? I, I don't feel good. I don't like what, I don't like this. Well, let's have a drink. Okay. Well, now you have the drink and you're temporarily soothed and then you wake up and now you're hungover and now you're hungry as hell because there's sugar in your belly and the stuff is all there. It's all fucking there. It's a vicious cycle and that's how... You know, that's how people get stuck in addictions and, excuse me, bad habits that are very hard to undo later in life, man. Just um, get your ass into therapy and, and feel those feelings. That's all that is. Really, you know, therapy is a great tool to get you to be vulnerable and to to crack you open, you know, because uh, you got to survive in this world. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. You got to fucking survive. You got to go on. You got to wake up every day and earn your money and do this and that. But a lot of us are not, your feelings are not validated growing up. And that's nobody's fault again. It's not a fault thing. But, you know, a lot of us grow up with the messages of like, hey, it's not safe to to be vulnerable, especially boys in this culture. It's, I think it's easing up now in this generation. But, you know, our dads were raised like fucking serial killers. I talk about this in my act that... They tell little boys to, you know, suck it up, homo, and don't cry, and this and that. I mean, is there anything crazier to tell little kids, regardless of their gender, don't cry, suck it up, soldier on? Come on, what are you, you sissy? Oh, my God. <laughs> no wonder people grow up to be Republicans. Ugh, what a nightmare. So... Yeah, that's why boo boos. We're all we're all given messages that we have to undo. That's all it is. That's all it is. And and the different, the real struggle is to undo the stuff that was given to you versus what you really want and need. That's the whole key of this. So that's I think one of the big keys of getting your life is to go. Was well, that even mine? Is that really my belief? The the belief that tells me I should be fat. And by the way, wait. From what I understand, um, gaining weight, it's a protective mechanism. If you're, it's, it's literally putting padding around your body. It's, it's a way of protecting the self, which is when I was overeating, um, which is so true, so true. It, it's, a, it's literally a, a layer between you and the world. And for women too, it can be linked to sexual trauma, to... Uh, sometimes if you're in a bad relationship, you don't want to have sex with your partner. You put on weight. It's a, it's a lovely way of, uh, deflecting sexual attention, (laughs) a weight gain for sure. Uh, so there, I know with me, I was gaining weight because I hated traveling so much and being alone all the time. It was really terrible. That's what, you know, whatever I stopped doing that, but see what I did, I rearranged my life. So I only go out for fucking two days and then I'm home and I'm back in the structure that I so desperately need to survive. And I fucking know that about myself now at 40 is that I like structure. Guess what? I love waking up at the same time every morning. I let the dogs out. They take a piss. They shit. I go wake up the baby or the baby. Sorry. wakes me up. I get the baby up. We read some books. I have my coffee. I take a dump. You know, everybody takes their dumps. Everybody eats their breakfast. And then we get on with the day. And I, I like that. I just, oh, I really crave that normalcy. <laughs> I, fucking, 
And I didn't, I never thought I would. I got to be honest. I, you know, when I was younger, I swore I would never be this mundane suburban mom and I just love it. (laughs) Who knew that all these suburbanites be capable of happiness? Jeez. Now that being said too, I, you know, I did everything already. So the twenties, I did all the traveling and all the whatever's. Yeah, dude, that's but that's another reason I encourage people to do your stages of life accordingly. Accordingly. There's a time and a season for everything. And when you kind of traverse those, it's tougher. Like when you have babies too old, like me, then there was trouble getting preggers, then you're a little bit old. So there you go. But but for the most part, your twenties are for failing and trying and experimenting. Your thirties are for getting serious on the career and the family. Your 40s, you're reaping the benefits of having busted your ass for the last two decades. So while everyone else was out having a good time and enjoying their 4th of July, you were plugging away on the road, but now it all makes sense. It's okay. (laughs) Okay, let's do this um, last email. I love this question. Hi, Christina. I've been listening to back episodes, and on episode 82, you gave advice to a girl on how to find a nice guy. How about the flip side and help a guy find a nice girl in this day of hookups and Tinder type apps? I'm at a loss. Little backstory, I'm 42, divorced for three years after 19 years with the same woman. I poor baby. And I feel like I've got my life and I'm ready to get out there. Good. If you really want to get deep, bro, I haven't been with anyone since my divorce and my ex is the only person I've had sex with. So yeah, it's scary. I really am a nice guy and not interested in the one-time type of thing. Feel free to ask anything if you want more info. Thanks. Uh, well, listen, bro, I think that's a fantastic ad. You put that shit on like any website. Uh, cause from what I hear, the single women out there are dying to meet a guy like you. You're the diamond in the rough. From what I hear, it is brutal. And a nice guy is like, oh, you're worth your weight in gold. So know that a hey, the way the world is uh, set up, you don't mention having children. I don't know where you guys are with that. Uh, 42-year-old guy, your currency is as good as a 20-year-old girl. (laughs) Uh, That's just how the world is. Sorry, ladies. Um, But you know, I don't know. In the world of apps, I fucking don't know. I mean, here's what I intuitively, from what I gather talking to people, fuck off with these uh, Tinder. Don't even get on these disgusting, demeaning apps, unless that's all you want is hookups. Don't even mess with these these um, lower grade ones, I guess, where people are just swiping you based on an image that they don't even really see you or anything you're about. It's so cursory and so cold and callous. Ugh. If you're going to do... Um, online dating, it sounds to me, and I don't know if you're Christian, I don't know what your religious affiliation is, but I hear that those sites are now um, just trash sites. But there has to be a digital realm in which people who are looking for serious only or quality people can meet each other. So let's start there. Find the tier of the app or the website that makes sense for you. Um, don't do the thing that everyone else is doing just cause that's what you, you know, fuck, don't do, don't do Tinder from, from, from when I understand. I don't know. Again, I, I, my husband and I met, uh, we started dating when Friendster was cool. So a lot of people don't even know what Friendster is. Friendster predated MySpace. <laughs> I think texting had just started when Tom and I got together. That's how old uh, I am. But it's funny because, 42 is great. I think 42 is a great age to be single. And um, actually, I think it's not. I mean, look, that's a great age. You're kind of in between like the other life change. You've got some experience under in, in your life. There's, I feel like 40 is the age when people get divorced, right? And then they're looking. So you're kind of in that group of people who have been there, done that. And now we're going to go there again, hopefully, or not, or whatever you decide. You may be a little more professional. You're established in your career. You're established in your life. You know what you like. You know what you don't like. And I would say when you're dating, really think about that stuff. You were with the same woman for 19 years. That's a lot. And you know, you guys split for, I don't know what reason, your own reasons, but you may want to take the time to really think about what it is you want in the next round uh, with a woman. What did you not like about your spouse? 
what can you not tolerate uh, with the lady that you see? Like, what are your non-negotiables, things like that? Okay, so here's what I've learned about guys picking girls from watching The Millionaire Matchmaker, Patty Stanger. <laughs> great show, great show, great show. Um, so here's some tips. From what I understand, it's going to sound horrible. Um, guys, when you mess up with picking women, it's because it looks like you guys only want the outside package, Okay. Guys want to look at the car. This is what Patty Stanger says. You look at the car and he's shiny on the outside. And then you go, oh, this is it. I'm in love with her. But she's like, she's so cute and she's so pretty. And then, 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 then. But then when you lift the hood, there's a whole lot of crazy. The wires are all screwy. The transmission's shot. And there's all kinds of shit in there that you don't even want to touch, right? So number one, for any guys listening... And they're like, I can't seem to find the right lady. Maybe could it be that you're looking at the wrong stuff, which is the tits, the ass, the face, the hair, whatever, which you should look at. I'm not saying people are attracted to each other. That's the biggest thing. That is number one between men and women. But you have to take it a step further. Does she have half a goddamn brain in her head? How about that? Is she an empathetic person? Is she a good Human, um, are there any addictions to worry about? Any credit problems? Look at the fucking credit report. No, not that far. But, you know, is she responsible? Does she have a job? Shit like that. You got to look under the hood. That's the big thing Patty says. Look under the hood. Look under the hood. So, yes, there's the car. Look at the car. But then check out the insides. Because that's ultimately, look, we're all going to, we all fucking age and get droopy. And and we try to maintain the best we can. But, you know what I'm saying? having a relationship with another human, not just the face. And guys get so hung up on the face, the looks, the body. I got to have a hot bod, which is fine. Have the hot bod, you know, and that's why I'm thankful to live in California where we have a lot of good looking people. I don't know where you live, but there's a lot of good looking older bitches here. Okay. Number two, um, I don't, I personally, I don't, I don't think meeting people online is uh, great because they misrepresent themselves. Uh, I think people are delusional in terms of who they think they are versus who they really are. So they can present a facade that they think is who they are. And then you meet them and you're like, you're out of your fucking mind. Like you're nothing like the person you think you are. (laughs) Um, I always tell people fucking join, do something you enjoy doing. Go be hobby full. That's a word. Pick up a hobby, start something, um, join some kind of community group thing where you can meet other people who enjoy doing the same things you do. I I always encourage that. That's what I've found. And, And meet people through other people. Ask your friends. Do you have any fantastic single friends? Can we have a dinner party? And there's lots of people. It's not like you have to just date that, you know, go on like a blind date. Those are horrible too. Uh, go to parties with fr- have a friend party have a friend party where they invite friends who they think would be a good hookup. That's how my I had my friend meet her husband that way at a party. We all met. Um, I think uh, oh, wait, wait, we said that. Hold on, stay away from online dating. I think it's atrocious. There's people everywhere. That's the thing. Oh, you know what? I've always said that if I if I were single, I would just go to the dog park with my dog. Do you have a dog? Get a fucking dog. If you're a single guy, go go to this. Don't go to the pet store. Go to a reputable. Go to a shelter and get yourself a rescue. I anytime I, there's a single guy in the world with a, a cute dog, that's like a fucking magnet. That's a chick magnet. Women love a cute dog. Go get a fucking dog. Borrow a friend's dog. Go sit at the Starbucks on the patio and let them come to you. Let the honeys come to you. <laughs> Uh, I thought it sounds like a great plan. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Go go places you like. I've always found that that's how like I meet friendly people. I mean, stand up's always how I've met my friends, I guess. But yoga class, there's nothing but women in yoga class. Go there. Uh, there's nothing but women in meditation classes. I've always felt like, dude, that's where you should meet girls. Yoga and meditation. All the chicks love that stuff, dude. 
Whole Foods. Shit, my Whole Foods, there's always hussies standing around in like short shorts looking for dudes. I feel like there's sluts everywhere looking for dudes. Um, okay. Yeah. Look under the hood. That's a huge thing. I think guys get really hung up on looks. Ugh, it's so gross, so gross, so gross. And don't fucking date 20-year-olds, dude. I mean, I guess since you haven't... The sex thing, I just wouldn't tell. Because here's the truth. Okay, so you haven't had sex with more than one person. Big deal. But you had it for 19 years with the same person. So you've got a lot of experience. And I, I definitely wouldn't lead with that when dating. Just there's no need. I mean, why are you telling? I think you should definitely break the seal. I mean, if you're not looking to hiccups and hookups at all, I don't know. I think you should bang one person at least, right? I mean, shit, 19 years with the same woman. Do yourself a favor. Just hook up once. Just get it out of the way so that the pressure's not there. <laughs> Is that terrible? <laughs> I'm terrible. Are you churchy? Go to church. Go to the church that you like. Meet church people. Those are always nice people. Anyways, you're lucky in that there's a huge pool of people your age getting divorced and uh, and looking for the second phase of relationship. So that's a good thing. Yeah, date someone age appropriate for fuck's sake, Mark. Okay, I don't know if you're... Just don't. That That's the biggest mistake I see guys doing too. They're like, I can't seem to find a good girl. Well, yeah, because you're dating 20-year-olds and you're 42. You guys are different atmospheres, different fucking planets. Not, not that there's anything wrong with 22 year olds. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that she's got nothing, nothing to say to you. You're, you're 42. You're in a different place in your life. It's inappropriate. It's, it's, it's ooky. It's not okay. (laughs) It's creepy. Come on guys. Now that's not to say that age difference. Once women hit, hit a certain age, it's different. 30 is different than 20. Okay. So if you're 30 dating a 50 year old, that's almost, that's way better. But you know, 20, come on. She's a child. <sighs> Gross. Get your life. Get your fucking life. Uh, okay. What else can I tell you? Oh, hey. And since you've been married for uh, 19 years, Mark, your gear is probably whack as shit. And what I mean is you're probably wearing outdated stuff. Uh, you probably need to get your look redone. So have a gay friend or a straight female friend take you to the mall, get your hair cut, get your new sneakers, your glasses, whatever the heck it is to create some kind of a look for yourself. Usually married guys, you get stuck in, in you know ruts. So give yourself a little makeover too before you get back into the dating world. That's a huge one because women... We, we do respond to uh, better attire. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's what I got. That's what I learned from Millionaire Matchmaker. All right, guys. Um, that's it. I got I to gotta go. So let's uh, email me. That's the bro podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, concerns, loves, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> come see me do stand up. Uh, and that's it. Yeah, I hope uh, hope this has been good. My dog is barking again. What are you barking at? There's nothing happening. She's so dumb. She's always barking at stuff that doesn't exist. Why do they do that? They're so silly. All right, guys. Until next time. That's been Deep Bro. And uh, yeah, bros. Stay, stay woke, as the kids say. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's deep, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.